Do you want more energy, better sleep, and better health? Who wouldn't? Get a free Scalar Light no obligation 15-day trial at scalarlight.com. Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week we give you the best news, views and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians. The companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to the Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio, the world's number one talk health radio. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the CEOs, leaders and founders who are driving the health tech revolution in the UK and beyond. I am a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself and I'm passionate about the people and uh, people and companies who are changing the world. Before we get into the show, I want to handle a couple of bits of business. Firstly, I want to say a huge, huge thank you to all of our listeners, um, as we've just found out that we're the fastest growing show ever on UK Health Radio, and we've had over half a million listeners since our launch seven months ago. That's down to you guys listening. Thank you so much. Personally, I think we all know how passionate I am about bringing you the people and companies who are changing the world and driving the evolution of healthcare forward and I'm pleased to see that you seem to like it as well. Second, um, finally, I want to just um, ask you also to follow us on the socials. So that's at UK Health Radio and at Health Tech Hour. So um, let's go on. Let's get straight into the show. So today we are talking to Shustin, um, Shustin Comley and uh, Susie Godson, founders of Social Enterprise Me Too, which is a safe, fully moderated peer support app for 11 to 25 year olds available across the UK. Me Too are an alumni of the NHS Digital Accelerator, like my company, Pogdoc. Um, they have a huge number of partnerships with the, um, with the NHS across the UK. And they've also undergone independent evaluation that has proved that Me Too helps improve well-being. Me Too has won a number of awards, and so it's a pleasure to welcome Shustin and Susie to the show. Um, Shustin, how are you? Hi, very good. Thanks, and, and lovely to be here. Good, good, good. Um, and Susie, same to you. How are you? Very good. Happy to be here too. Good. Look at that. Excellent. Well, look, um, so I ask everyone this, really, um, it's been a crazy 18 months. So h- how has it been for you guys at Me Too and the team, and what's the kind of mood in the camp? I think the mood in the camp is that we need a holiday. Desperate <laughs> <laughs> for that. <laughs> uh, it's been it's been quite. I mean, ever since we started, you know, that the project has dragged us along at, at high speed. Um, but the last eighteen months have, have been, you know, particularly particularly fast moving because we've been one of the few. Um, mental health and well-being support for providers that that was just immediately ready and up and running available to support young people through the crisis and so we saw our numbers our user numbers double over that period um, wow. you know and we're still quite a small organization and we're still um you know we're still in that sort of startup scale up phase so it's been very exciting but obviously it's all it's all created a huge amount of work and, and a huge amount of opportunity cool go on Susie. Um, ironically, we when we set up, we we set up our moderators 
to work from home, we, we thought that we could create a system whereby we employed people who had barriers to employment. They might be um, retired or disabled or carers and that they'd be able to work from home and do all the moderation. And little did we know that within the space of about 48 months, the entire world would be working from home. But it did mean that we had this digital service that was ready to go. And so we were in position to, to keep delivering exactly the same level of support. So in terms of how we were supporting our young people, we weren't affected at all. Great. Well, look, we can jump into all of that as we as we get through the show. So normally, as I think we went through in our kind of production call, the show's in three parts, which is more like an origins part of how you came to be doing all the great things that you're doing. Then the middle bit is about all of the great things that you're doing at Me Too. And then the final bit is sort of more towards the future, what's next and talking about some issues of the day. So when we have two people on, we just have to kind of, you know, make it work because it's a little bit harder to do that. But we've had, we've done it before, so I'm sure it's going to be absolutely fine. So how did you both get involved in health tech because i'm not necessarily sure based on the information that i saw it's not necessarily you've not been in it for, for, for forever so to speak there was a point at which you both got involved in it so how did that happen um so so my background actually when when i left university i did mechanical engineering at university and i i my first job was with ford motor company so <laughs> pretty much not health tech um, and although it was a fantastic job, I realized that actually I wanted to be working in the sort of the health and medical space. So, so God, don't even want to know how many, 20, 25 years ago, I, at that point, I moved over into medical device de- design. So, okay. so I've been working in the sort of health space for quite a long time. But I guess it was, it's only been more recently in the last maybe eight, nine years that I've, I've moved more into um, uh, sort of health tech itself um and that's just you know a shift from sort of you know the shift from designing medical devices through to to realizing that actually where where my interests lie with is within the data and the technology so i've I've been doing i've been doing this kind of stuff for quite a while now okay how about you cz um my my background's kind of very different um i started out as a designer so i was a graphic designer for a really long time and then i switched to journalism I've been writing at the sex and relationships column in the Times for 17 years now. Okay. And I, um, I trained as a psychologist. And so it's really a mix of psychology and design that sort of informs where we are now. Um, because being, being able to understand the psychology and the psychological need and do that research and then design something that worked for young people they were kind of specific skills and so when you add in Shoshton's skills in education technology we sort of managed between the two of us to to tick a lot of boxes in terms of creating a startup. Okay and how how did you guys meet? Have you, how, what, what's the story? Go ahead Susie. Um, we, I, I had the idea um, to do to do an app and it was originally an app that was supposed to help young people the idea was to help young people to ask really difficult questions around sex and relationships and sexuality and gender and all the things that I was experiencing in my in my work and but I didn't have any skills in in the tech building area Mm -hmm. um but I have a kid who who goes to who at that time went to trampolining and there was this other 
there was this other mum at the trampolining class and I knew she had a PhD from Cambridge and was really super bright and worked in that space so I basically stalked her until <laughs> she had a look at my idea and she really loved it and that was how we met and it was pretty random but over um, child's tr- trampolining that's a good story it's a it. good founder story um but <laughs> out of interest I just want to pick up on one thing that you mentioned there in your column in the times had you um did were you seeing kind of an uptick in issues coming from younger readers or were you seeing some trends that that made you think that this was where you wanted to do it, that this was this app or this service would, would be valuable Absolutely. I mean, I've always had um, contact with younger people because I'm easy to get hold of. So I've always had kind of correspondence from them. And and in my day job, I'm not really allowed to to answer to that. They're not the Times audience. So those questions never got published. And so I, I felt a sort of moral obligation to create something that would allow that would create a safe space. It's very, very difficult for young people to get access to to that kind of information safely um so it was definitely driven by that by a desire to sort of answer their questions in a safe way okay and well were there some themes that their questions were around that because it's your me too isn't just sexuality focused or anything it's it's wide open isn't it no so what happened well what happened was we built a pilot very rudimentary pilot which we piloted in three schools with uh year, you know 16 year old students and what happened was we saw immediately what Shoshan will tell you about the technical things that we learned but from a content uh, perspective what we learned was that the kid who was worried about coming out was also being bullied was also coming from a parents who were homophobic was also you know struggling with an eating disorder so it's really really um complex and multi-layered and so we so we came away and realized that we had to build something that was more like a life support system for kids where they could talk about anything because these issues are dynamic and they change over time they don't stay the same the issues a 13 year old is dealing with are different to the issues a 16 year old is dealing with and so it became this kind of, you know, we, we call it mental help, but it's actually, um, it's actually just a support system for young people as they grow up. Mm. Um, Shustin, when, when you first heard about this idea at the trampolining club um, or wherever it was subsequently, um, what, what were your reactions, your initial reactions? Oh, I, I was just incredibly excited about it because I'd, I, I, I was sort of coming to the end of a of a quite intense project where I co-founded a free school um, and I still work there as a as a governor so I was very involved uh, in the lives of the target audience you know it's a secondary school um, you know acutely aware on the governance side of things you know of the safeguarding issues of the challenges that young people face and then with my other sort of hat on and already being interested in health tech and ed tech and having done some projects in those areas this just it just seemed like a you know as such an 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 immediately obvious solution to a really tricky problem that has been around forever um so yeah so so i I, you know i just jumped straight into it okay so it wasn't yeah it seems like a pretty good fit from the from the beginning um so and what um, on on that point around you know that there was a problem that has been around for ages How, how would you kind of define the needs or issues amongst what became your user group that, what, that you 
are solving or, or I guess actually more when you started, what did you perceive the issues to be? Because I imagine they may well have evolved over the period of time. But when you started, what were what were the key things that you were that you thought you needed to solve? Well, I think as Susie's described originally, we thought that it, we thought that the, the main problem was that, uh, that that young people found it very difficult to get information and uh, guidance on those, for those tricky or embarrassing areas of life. So, you know, sex and relationships being, you know, absolutely classic example of that. But when we went into these schools, as Susie's explained, actually we found that there was a much bigger problem around well-being and mental health generally. Um, And at the same time, that was just before, about a year before the Heads Together campaign that was run by the the Princes and the Royal Foundation. Mm. So we sort of rode this wave of of increased awareness about the importance of mental health and well-being. And there was a huge amount of work being done at the time uh, to, to increase the numbers of conversations and make you know reduce stigma but there were almost no solutions so collectively society was encouraging people to be more open about their mental health but there were no solutions or support or or very minimal support services to actually address the things that people were talking about right Um, and so right from that early stage we, we sort of realized that and realized actually we wanted to be part of that solution okay and so i was going to ask you know at the time where you started what were the options for young people who wanted to talk about something that was difficult or awkward or or, or sensitive? Well, there was social media, obviously, um, but social media is not a great um, a great way to find out. That, you know, first of all, it wasn't anonymous, so yeah. so you know, there's a lot of fronting on social media. If you go on onto the web there's masses and masses of information but we did a fantastic experiment with a school where we where we got a, a bunch of students and we gave them a problem to solve and it was one of the problems that had come up in the app or several okay. problems and we set them in front of a computer and asked them to to come up with solutions to that problem by searching online mm. and what is immediately imp- apparent from that experiment is that Problems are personal, problems mm. are local, and problems are multi-layered. And when you ask somebody to sit in front of a computer and solve a problem like that, they come across generic information that explains things at a, at a kind of broad level. But you can't personalize that. You can't make that specific to the individual. Mm. And so, so what we've managed to achieve with Me Too and through the peer support model and the pre-moderated guidance is that you know you're normalizing issues for young people so you're immediately creating a space where they're not the only one with that problem Mm. and the other person that had that problem is willing to share their advice and guidance on how they got through it and so it's a much more collaborative way of solving problems Mm. and we did know you know if you take it back to the sex and relationship stuff one of the big issues with all of that is that people pretend that they're doing things that they're not doing or they pretend that they know things that they don't know and when you when you create this anonymous space where where people are actually telling the truth you sort of stick a pin in the balloon and everything everyone goes oh oh okay you're not doing that either then I'm not with it okay that was a big part of it and when you first started it how much discussion did you have around you know anonymous not anonymous 
you know, um, user generated, not user generated? Like, how how did you puzzle all of those different things? We were we were really clear from the beginning. I mean, we did a lot of research. We spent the first, the first, we didn't even know each other. So we spent the first year getting to know each other and also going and talking to young people and talking to parents. We did a massive amount of user research, but we knew from the outside that outside that it had to be anonymous and it had to be pre-moderated. That, okay. I mean, it was very clear to us straight away because you can see how without, without, without moderation certainly social media becomes a race to the bottom and um and without anonymity people wouldn't be honest so that those criteria were in place from day one okay i mean there was also some really good research that had been done over in um, australia at uh, melbourne university um so so we based quite a lot of our early work on that those academic trials looking at they were interested in this question of how could you how could you um, put peer support into a digital context. So obviously we've gone a lot further than that now, but uh, that, that also gave us a good steer right at the beginning. Okay. And um, how, how, like, I mean, based on what was otherwise available or the kind of standard doctrine of, of peer support, how revolutionary was it to say, okay, completely anonymous and pre-moderated? I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what the baseline is that that would be compared against, if that makes any sense. We did a we did a massive kind of literature review of all the sort of academic work on face to face peer support and digital peer support, and we we built we built the app around best practice. Okay. Um, and but we've we we sort of took it one step further because we also realised that um, that we needed things like a short a limited character count. Because when you when you compare what we're doing to a chat room, for example, like Reddit, or where conversations can spin out into other conversations, or there's no word count, that that people go down tunnels. Yeah. And part of our process was to try and get the users to really focus on what the mm. issue was, because we knew that young people had a limited attention span. So we needed them to get to the point quickly, both with the problem and with the advice that they were being given. So we designed it really based on sort of um, adding social media values into the a best practice peer support platform. Okay. And that works incredibly well, mainly because it's quick. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So we're going to do a quick stop now for a commercial break. But after that, we're going to come back and talk to both of you about all of the great stuff that Me Too is doing right now and really get under the hood of, of how it works. So we'll be right back in a second. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. good, good. How good are vitamin C supplements. Usually only a small proportion of vitamin C actually reaches your cells and has a positive effect. Whereas the high absorption levels of Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C help maintain optimal vitamin C levels in your body and strengthen your immune system. Now get 10% off when you choose Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C capsules. Just quote 10 off at goldmanlaboratories.com. Do you suffer from pain? B-Cure Laser, a home-use CE-approved medical device for the effective treatment of pain, is now available in the UK. 
The results of a double-blind trial has shown that B-Cure Laser offers a significant reduction in pain compared to the placebo group. To get your special B-Cure offer now, call free on 0808-501-5122 or Google Radio Pro London. B-Cure Laser. B-Cure Laser. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We're talking to Susie and Shustin from Me Too, which is the fully moderated peer support app for 11 to 25-year-olds. So um, before the break, we were just talking. We, we just got on to exactly how Me Too works. So before we get on to that, I just want to just ask something, because I think as far as I know, you're a social enterprise. Is that correct? Yep, that's um, right. I think it would be really helpful for me, but also for everyone listening, is if you could just explain what that means, because I think it's it's thrown around quite a lot and people might have come across the term without necessarily understanding what it means. Sure, sure. So when we started out, the the ambitions for what we were trying to do were purely entirely altruistic. Uh, you know, we, we found a problem, we felt we had a solution, and, and that was our real driver was just to, just to solve it. And so... You know, in the five years, nearly six years that uh, that we've been going, uh, we've we've refined that thinking into you know how do we sustain this for the long term, and um, we could have gone and we looked very carefully at going down the charity route. All of our activities meet those sort of charitable charitable criteria, but. Uh, we're really interested in this this uh, sustainability piece. Mm-hmm. And also the other difficulty with the charity model is that you are ultimately always having to uh, fundraise for donations. Generally. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, in, in, in the mental health space, as along with it, many other charity spaces, the way to get people to give up their money is to, to describe that really negative story, you know, the, the, mm. the desperate child, things like that. Whereas what we wanted to do was to create a space that was incredibly positive. And so we decided that the best solution was actually to be a a social enterprise. So what this means is that we are set up as a regular company limited by shares, but into our articles, our our constitution, uh, we have a number of locks. So our mission is locked. So the mission to improve the lives and mental health and well-being of young people is locked into that mission. And so too is the requirement for us to reinvest the majority of any profit we make back into the mission so it's a kind of it's a kind of halfway house between a fully full for profit and a a charity you know everything meets that charitable condition but um we have the opportunity to raise investment and obviously with a tech product Mm. it's really difficult you need to raise quite a lot of investment and that's very hard for small unknown charities so as a tech product we've got much more opportunities of social investment so that's yes it sort of sits in the middle and i and we think that this is really the best way that we can uh, that we can be sustainable and and have the most impact over the long term no i think it makes a lot of sense i think it and and have you found that being a social enterprise as opposed to a pure for-profit entity has that has that been attractive to the people and organizations that you hope to represent and hope to work with absolutely because i don't think anybody wants to make money out of out of somebody else's misery so yeah absolutely it means we have to be quite careful about who invests in us though because we need to always put impact first and so you know that's not going to suit a lot of venture capitalists who are looking for a quick exit yeah but uh, thankfully there are more and more 
sustainable, you know, ethical, impact-oriented venture capitalist funds, or let's call them investment funds, because I think venture capitalist has a slight stigma attached to the term. But, you know, investors, funds who are interested in this space, I, I would think, particularly over the last couple of years. Yeah, and it's, yeah. And it's growing. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Growing. Good. Well, um, so what, why, out of interest, did you start focusing on 11 to 25-year-olds? I think we've kind of covered it, but I, I just that, I'm interested in that specific age range and, and how you got there. So originally, when we first set out, we were, we were the, the uh, 13 to 18-year-olds, you know, the classic definition of a teenager. But very quickly, we started getting requests from schools and the NHS to go, to go down in age, uh, mainly so that it, we could cover whole secondary schools in one go. It was hard okay. to they only year up can use me too um we chose not to go below 11 because in our research we found that children un- under the age of 11 don't really benefit as much from peer supports okay um, they're still very much being directed by adults in their lives they they don't have the language skills necessary to to, to engage in a kind of you know digital peer space and then at the other end, well, you know, if you've got a 17, 18 year old who's been actively using Me Too and then they go off to university and they still want to use Me Too, we're not going to say no. <laughs> so, yeah, you're fine now. I'm so sorry. Off you go. Yeah, <laughs> organically, you know, the, the, the demand just crept up. And in fact, although we say we focus on 11 to 25 year olds, that um, we, we're already getting people in their 30s and, you know, even an occasional 40-year-old coming on. So we know that there's demand for older people. Mm. And then and in February, we launched a, a new app called me to connect which is aimed specifically at people working in the education sector. So okay. the model that we've created and the technology that we're building is applicable to basically anybody aged 11 and above. Okay. It's quite important to add that the uh, app is age-banded. So in the, within the app, uh, a 13-year-old will only see posts from um, 11 to 15, so two years either side of their age group, and then that age band grows up with them as they move up through the app. That makes sense. Um, so let's take that opportunity. Could you just explain to everyone at home, how does Me Too work? What would the user journey be like, and, and how would a user kind of come across it in the first place or could come across it? So, so uh, mainly, um, we mainly do social media marketing, but we're in about, I think, 300 schools are promoting the app as well. Um, but our, we're, we're quite um, skilled at getting to young people via social media. Mm. Um, and then they would download the app and register. And when they register, they they shake their phone and a random username is generated from from three different words and there so that username is very specific to me too so they can't use it in any other social media right. and and we've taken out all the visual hierarchies which is really important there's no there's completely gender neutral and that is really important because we're very very focused on in, including boys Boys are just left out of the mental health space. They they don't they won't go there by themselves, and you have to actively design things to engage boys. Okay. And we are really pleased that forty percent of our user base is boys. It's okay. it's very very unusual. Right. Um, and then it's a kind of a Twitter style feed where it's 
um, you know, short posts, short replies. Uh, we have content within the app, which uh, educational content or things that are happening. And then over lockdown, we built in a phenomenal directory, which has got everything from crisis helplines and support groups to the best apps and TED Talks and books and things okay. to do. And um, all of that can be filtered by topic. So uh, if, a, if a young person is has got anxiety they can filter everything around anxiety if they've got autism they can filter around autism if they're coming out they can filter around that so all of the topics can can they can filter their feed or they and they can filter their directory and it's everything is pre-moderated so every post and reply is checked by a human and before it goes live and and risk assessed and anything high risk is dealt with by a small team of counselors rather mm. than going through to the feed. Okay. So, so if I come on and do, do, are you encouraged to do, to post something first or encouraged to look around or what? what, what, um, what, what we definitely, we definitely have lots of lurkers, people who use the app, but they use the app to read other people's um post and reply so mm. so they may they may be suffering from anxiety but they won't post themselves but they will learn from reading other people's posts or they can use the directory but most of our you know we have about six thousand active users per month we have about fifty one thousand registered users but say six thousand people at a time posting and replying okay and how does it work from a school's perspective, and I know that you work with Chelsea and Westminster Hospital and a whole, a whole number of other NHS institutions. How does it sort of work from that perspective? Are they, because you sort of work with the school and they promote it to their, to their you know, yeah. pupils and things? How, how does that sort of play out? We've got two, two layers. So we've got, uh, so any, anybody, any school, any, any organisation is very welcome to promote the app. The app is free at the point of use. You know, any okay. young person can find it on the App Store and download it or Play Store, download it and start using it. And so we have most of our schools that we've been working with do just that, you know, and we can, they get in touch with us. We can send them little cards to promote the app or posters or whatever. So immediately that school or the youth group or whoever it is has a, a, a service that they can offer to their young people to give those young people more support. But the next level up from that is that actually all the data that we get from the app is in, it's got incredible number amount of, of insights. So Susie describes when the posts come in, they get categorized and they get risk assessed. And we can use that in an anonymized, aggregated form to tell people about what's happening at a national level, at a local level, or even at an organizational level for the young, their young people. Um, and so that's, that's a different service. We call it Me Too Insights that, um, you know, we've, we've been piloting in Somerset with Somerset CCG and Warwickshire Local Authority. Um, and also it's also being used by about 34 schools across the country now. Um, and what's really fantastic, actually, because this, this is another kind of thing that's come out of lockdown, really. Um, what's really great is that, say, for a school, 
Um, it's giving them real insight into what's going on for their students so that they can target their inter- interventions more effectively. Okay. So rather than just doing a bullying co- course because that's what they feel they ought to do, they can see actually, no, at the moment, we've got a problem with our 11 to 13-year-olds around self-harm. So let's run some self-harm uh, training or informational workshops. So it's allowing those schools to be much more, more focused and and obviously ultimately save money as well because they're not just you know spending money randomly Mm. so it's the data that drives that 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 opportunity I think that's super interesting so how were schools and these other organizations how are they working how were they or are they in other places working out what content to deliver to young people at any given time it's incredibly hard. I mean, you know, if, if, as a comparison, so schools are really good at using data to understand the progress of a child's learning. And that's been, that's been um, accelerating for about the last five, five to eight years. You know, schools pour over charts of, you know, and we have pinpointing what they have to do to improve a child's learning. There is almost no way except for maybe a survey once or twice a year to really get detailed information about the mental health of the whole school environment. And so mm. what you find is that in many schools, they, they either have sort of a knee-jerk reaction to a major event, often, unfortunately, you know, it's something like a, a suicide or a near suicide, or they're simply focusing on uh, what's, you know, the latest trend within media or, you know, perhaps one individual, you know, what, what something that's shown them. I mean, the other problem that we've got is that there is virtually no training for frontline staff. So the, your, your biology teacher or your, right. your, your supporter system. We did a survey back in October that found that most staff have less than one hour of training around mental health and well-being. Um, yeah but of course the frontline staff are the 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 staff who build the rapport and the relationship with the with the student and so if you've got that you know unis nine student who's really struggling they're more likely to go to the teacher they really you know have trust in Mm. than going to the pastoral team but it's only team with the training so this me too insights facility allows the whole school to be to be much more informed about what's going on in the school and 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 be better able to support their students yeah it's like a mental health dashboard for the for the school yeah Yeah, exactly yeah i think that makes a that's that sounds great and I'm, i'm guessing the fact that it's anonymous in the beginning makes it easier to provide that data Right. Because you're, you, you, you know, everyone is anonymous by definition. So there's much, much, much lower risk of any kind of, you know, sensitivity or issue around data sharing and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. it's all it's, it's all it's just it's a very different way of looking at things because most uh, methods of evaluation are based on self-report. So if mm. I ask you how you're doing, you'll probably tell me that you're fine. Yeah. You're unlikely you're unlikely to share your kind of deepest innermost concerns and anxieties. What our data comes from is the exact opposite. It's from in the moment, I'm feeling this right now, my distress level is x. It's 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 the unfiltered insight mm. into how young people are genuinely feeling. That that data is not collectible unless you do it in this way. You will not yeah, no, get that. Yeah, I completely agree. I, you can't get it another way. Yeah, you can't ask people because, like you say, they're not going to tell yeah. you the truth, or they'll 
Well, I don't know. They might feel awkward. Depends on who's asking. Depends in what context. Exactly. Exactly. If I write something down, will someone see it and they'll laugh at me or whatever? Yeah. You know. Um. I, I no. I completely agree with you. Well, what, and and um, that's. Sorry, go on. It just it just means that the data is is so powerful. Uh, I can't I can't even express how mind blowing it is to see this data. It just it's mm. it's a game changer. <laughs> what and can you um can, without betraying any confidences or anything like that could you give an example of, of 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 an insight that came out of the data that otherwise would have gone completely un unmissed or sorry would have got completely missed yeah well um, i mean it's dynamic but at the moment we're looking at the fact that self-harm in 11 to 13 year olds is so stratospherically higher than it is in other age groups and that's you know that was a shock to me i didn't realize that um and of course, that sends us on a mission to research that and to understand why that's why that is happening, and that we're now looking at sort of you know neurological change at ad in adolescence that explains that cycle. But we can also see that it's dynamic and it gets it it decreases quite dramatically mm -hmm. over the following kind of five or six years. Um, insights like that that you can only see when you have a volume of data. Yeah. with that population um yeah. you know it's it's amazing yeah that is amazing so effectively you've created with me too you've created a, an environment where people feel <laughs> someone's I'm um, so sorry so, um where you've created a platform whereby young people are, are feel comfortable sharing that information and by sharing that information it helps um it helps improve the, the support that, that, that they can be given um, because otherwise they otherwise no one knows that data because it's just in someone's head so you need to get it out of their head yeah. but in an environment that they're comfortable sharing it within yeah exactly I, I was just gonna say so we've been doing this year-long pilot in Somerset with Somerset CCG and you know that's interesting because that's at, at a more sort of population level than in a school there were schools involved and it's you know it's it's been it's been really successful i mean it's you know it's exceeded our expectations really in terms of of the take level of the take up and engagement but then also the quality of the um the the information that we can give back to the to the ccg as well you know and and um it's going to be enabling them to to help them plan the services and the the, the support that they need to submissioning over the next few years so yeah it's both both but both at that local level and more more population level Okay. Well, look, we're going to do another quick, another, another short break. But after that, I want to come back and pick up on that CCG thing as, a, as, as opposed to it being different to how you work in a school. So we will be back in one minute. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. good. Scalar light is the quantum energy emitted from the universe, from the sun and stars. Now, Tom Palladino, a humanitarian and scalar light researcher, has created the world's only scalar light healing system, a system that can bring long-distance healing and wellness to humans, pets, and plants via a photograph. Get your free 15-day trial now at scalarlight.com or click on the Scalar Light banner on the UK Health Radio website. Shields like masks are top of mind right now. But did you know you have inner armor working constantly to protect you from pathogens? 
It keeps you healthy and thriving. It's your immune system. Ion Gut triggers the body's natural ability to support gut strength all year long, so your immune system can protect you when you need it the most. How are you treating your inner armor? Visit uk.ionbiome.com to learn more. Ion Gut. Protect what protects you. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Hi, and we are back for the final part of our show with the founders of Me Too. So just before the commercial break, we were talking about CCG. Now, CCG, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with NHS acronyms, is a clinical commissioning group. Effectively, they are the groups across the whole country. They were, they used to kind of be called NHS trusts. They're now called CCGs. They might be moving to something else called an integrated care system. And so the cycle continues of renaming things. But effectively, within a given area, they're responsible for allocating budgets for healthcare initiatives in that area. So you were saying that you were working with Somerset CCG. How is that different to when you work with a school in terms of where your users are, if that makes sense? Because I understand when you work with a school, it's the pupils. But when you're working with, you know, the, the, the trust or the areas commissioning group, how, how does that play out to where your Me Too is available? Um, so it's so Me Too is available everywhere for every for everyone. Um, okay. So when we work with a school, we will do work. We will do work to try to specifically engage the students from that school. But once they're in Me Too, they are connecting with everybody else who's in Me Too. There's no, okay. no separate kind of groups or anything like that. And so very similarly, when we've been working um, with, with our work with Somerset, um, we were looking at a sort of geographical area for our promotional work. So we were work- we are working with schools within Somerset as well, but we're also, as in addition to the stuff we're doing in the schools, we're also doing stuff for, uh, on social media and, and other ways to target young people within a, within a gra- geographical area. But as I say, they all come in, they're all, they're all supporting each other. And what's lovely okay. is it means that, that that child in Somerset who feels that they are the only one who has a particular problem because their friendship group doesn't have that problem, they're connecting with a child in Leeds yeah. through that same problem, yeah. you know, and suddenly that, that capacity, I think that's what's so exciting about the model is it's infinitely scalable. Yeah. And that's one of the things things actually that the NHS has really picked up on is that um, whereas many of the other models like the one-to-one counselling model are limited by the number of staff that are available. Yes, it's usually unscalable. Absolutely, yeah. So even if they had the budget to go and employ all these people, those counsellors just don't exist. Whereas with the peer support model, every new user is a new person to give support. So it just keeps growing. So that's wonderful. Um, Yeah, yeah, so so that's... I was going to say for for the CCG obviously the benefit is that they're getting data on the whole population Mm -hmm. um, and in precisely the same way that a school can target resources um, dependent on what the data is telling them uh, the CCG can do the same thing but it also gets really valuable feedback on existing services because obviously the young people in Somerset discuss what is available in Somerset or what they're using or what their waiting times are. And that kind of first-hand feedback and insights is also hugely valuable to the CCG. Yeah, and also because, like, it's, I mean, you know, 
sending out questionnaires to people is never particularly successful, even at the best of times. And I suspect that sending out questionnaires to young people would be particularly unsuccessful. <laughs> if, again, I'm not an expert, so I, you, you might tell me I'm completely barking up the wrong tree. But I, I, I would, I, you know, I don't know. I could, I could see that sort of let's find out how our, you know, mental health initiatives and young people are going based on survey data would be, would, would not be particularly easy. Yeah. Well, you get you just get the you get the unvarnished truth, um, mm. yeah. which I mean, is really, hard to get. Yeah, the other thing that we can, we offer with a with a, uh, a an NHS trust or a local authority is so in the directory area, uh, the organisation, whether it's a school or it's it's in, you know in some sets case the, the CCG, they can actually add in local information that they want to promote. So we're very much a, a gateway to all the other support in the area. We're, okay. like the front, we're like the front door. And what's really lovely about that is that so that young person is having a conversation about an issue with other peers. And the peers then say, go check in the directory. And it's a much more effective way of getting young people to, to act the support that they need and of course so then they go off and you know so for Somerset for example in the Somerset information portal they're promoting Mindline they're promoting Young Somerset so now that young person goes into Young Somerset benefits from the services that they offer which might be a six-week counseling program and they finish that and yet they've still got the support of Me Too so Me Too is the kind of universal service they're available all the time anytime and then we've, we've got these sort of partnerships with these more specialist providers for those moments when, when that young person needs a higher level of intervention. Um, and that that's just works really effectively as well from, a, from an early intervention focus. I want to pick up on a couple of things that you mentioned earlier, because I know that when we've when we've had other mental health services and businesses on, um, you know, there's always questions that we get from from listeners after the fact um, around you know, I guess some of the things that, that, that listeners put up more, more and actually ahead of the show are more like, you know, the, how does the safeguarding bit work? You alluded to it earlier, Susie, which is if someone has a, a particularly se- severe issue or concerning issue, the pre-moderation helps pass them on to someone. So how, how what, what's your kind of risk management sort of processes and things like that within the, within the system? Well, I mean, the whole, the whole app was built with safeguarding at its core. So, you know, we were always we were always going to be dealing with this high risk population of young people so everything has been set up to put safeguarding first so when a, when a post comes in if it's high if it, every every post is is risk assessed and levels 1 to 3 will go through to the feed but levels 4 and 5 do not go through they go to the counselors the minute it goes into quarantine a counselor is alerted so they're straight on it and they will they can communicate directly with the young person and they will then help them to make a decision about what next steps are available to them what they feel comfortable with and they will help them then to access that support but it's it's you know we we never want to go down the one-to-one counseling route Mm. we have a kind of crisis triage team we never set up to be a you know a crisis support service but inevitably um we we do get a lot of of kids in crisis and so we've had to get better and better at supporting them effectively okay that that makes that makes a lot of sense another question which i know is a sensitive one um is around age verification so i understand that your your age banding thing makes total sense to me i you know 
based on the age of that person, they, they can only see a limited range of content that's slightly older than them or slightly younger than them. And that moves up totally makes sense. How, how do you kind of go through that age verification process to make sure you don't get, you know, bad actors or, or, you know, irresponsible people coming onto the platform and pretending to be something that they're not? It doesn't actually matter because everything, okay. is, checked. everything is checked before it goes live. I mean, all the, all the content, all the resources and everything that we put out there are, uh, you know, appro- appropriate for everyone. Um, or, or, you know, where they're very specific, maybe a sexual health one, it would be very clear, you know, this is aimed at this age group okay. uh, and would be openly available on the web anyway. But the point about the moderation means that if somebody comes on and they are actually aged 50, but they pretend to be 13 and they start posting or replying, so long as the quality of what they're posting or replying is is, is high and good and appropriate, that's fine, it's safe. Uh, and obviously, what we'd worry about would be grooming, but because it's fully anonymous, nobody can share personal information. So if somebody comes on, and what you do see, unfortunately, with people who are trying to groom vulnerable people, is that they want to encourage that young person to move to a less safe environment. Mm. But if they come on, and we do see it from time to time, and say, hey, this is my Snapchat handle, come follow me over there. Well, that doesn't go through to the feed, that's screened yeah. out. Um, so in the very early stage, we didn't have an age banding. And, and, and so we built the system to be safe without that. Mm. It's just that we know that the age banding really helps make the conversations relevant to the ages yeah. of the, the people that are, are talking to each other. That makes sense. And so if I, I you know, I'm, believe it or not, I am over 18. Um, <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I went on or not, or do I see content that's been sort of rated for over 18s or I only, I can only yeah. interact or receive replies and so on and so forth for people over 18, for example? Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So, so once you hit 18, you see posts from um, everybody who is over 18. Uh, that at the yep. moment that's all, all in there together if you are if you're under 18 then you will only be seeing posts from people who are plus or minus two years in age from you yeah i I can completely see why that pre moderation solves a lot of the issues that other platforms have i, I can i totally yeah. totally see that and, and there is there is you know that there, there are claims out there that machine learning and things are are now good enough to um to automatically moderate actually we have yet to find anything that is that is really capable so we we do use machine learning to, to assist the moderators and make it much more efficient and and quick and easy but ultimately you know context is everything so it's really important that a human sees that post yeah i mean i i think it goes back to you know the fact that you're a social enterprise and, and embedded in your constitution is the sort of requirement to do the best that you can and provide the best service for the need that you're servicing and so you know whereas if you were for profit then the 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 i guess the driving mentality might be around scale and profitability and things like that at which point mm-hmm. there's a trade-off right you know algorithms are cheaper than humans but you 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 also might lose a posts that should go up that get unfairly taken down for whatever reason, or worse, you, you know, posts that should go up that shouldn't go up. Um, whereas with a human-only model, that's really quite unlikely to happen, I, I would suspect. Yeah, and it also means that we've created a really amazing community. And I mean, in a way, it's an artificial community because it's artificially nice because everybody who's in there is 
really super helpful and really altruistic and and when we set it up we were we were pretty sure people would post their problems but we weren't sure how to generate replies mm. but actually altruism is such a driver and i mean we did know from the peer support research that helping helps the helper as much as it helps the helped yeah. but we see that in action all the time is that when when you help somebody and you use your own difficult life experience to advise somebody else so you turn something that was negative for you into something positive by using it as advice and support for somebody else when that person comes back to you and says gosh thank you that really helped I really appreciate that that reward is a real driver for people yeah. to help more it's amazing yeah. as a cycle it's, it really works yeah there's a lot of evidence I, there's a lot of evidence out there that, that says that if, if that, that by doing something nice for somebody else is a is a way to move yourself out of a depressive state you know it's not to say it's the only solution or anything but there's definitely evidence that says you know along with exercise and things like that by doing something nice that also releases dopamine and or increased dopamine and gives you a happy feeling about about that and gives you more control you know a lot a lot of anxiety is related to lack of agency right whereas actually by doing something nice for someone you're certainly taking control of that situation so i can completely completely understand that now we only have a few minutes left in the show and i know that one of the things we spoke about at length in our production meeting was how important evidence is for you and for me too and i know that you've done some phenomenal things about proving the value of of me too which none well very few if if any of of the other kind of mental health platforms have done so do you want to explain to everyone a little bit about what you've done there yes yes so we are very excited about this (laughs) so we have been funded for the past nine months by innovate uk to have an independent evaluation of me, of me do, and we work with um, the digital evaluation unit at the Anna Freud Centre, uh, and they they ran a, a project to to look to see uh, the impact of me too on the mental health of young people. So there were ten schools in, involved, so lots of lots of young people and also people using the app. Um, and they they ran a, a really rigorous study looking at change over time for two different time points through a collection of both surveys and interviews. So we've got all of that kind of quantitative data, and then we've also backed it. They backed it up um, by a whole lot of uh, qualitative data. So it's it's really nice to have that um, those two aspects. Um, now I'm going to get the findings all wrong. So let Susie, <laughs> you've memorised it. You go ahead. <laughs> Um, well, so they found lots and lots of things, but the important, the key thing for us is that they found statistically significant evidence of improved well-being, increased confidence, increased connectedness, and better knowledge and skills around managing own mental health. And if we think about what we set out to achieve when we made this app, I'd say that pretty much sums up yeah. what our aspiration was in a nutshell. So for us to have, you know, that box ticked, we can say that we can definitively that Me Too works and that mm-hmm. Me Too helps young people. And as you said, um, I don't know any other apps that have that kind of impact data ar- around them. You know, there there will be surveys that say kids like anonymity or kids like community or they like aspects but to have evidence of change and that change mechanism being peer support is super exciting yeah i think it's huge and i mean I'm, for everyone listening um innovate uk which which provided the funding is effectively the premier um r&d funding institution in the uk 
Um, so the, the fact that you managed to secure that funding from them, I think, speaks volumes as well as the fact that you're, you're one of the few, if, if the only um, mental health app in the UK with that independent evaluation. Um, you know, so, yeah, I think that's that's fantastic. So in the last couple of minutes of the show, what's what's next for me, too, over the next 12 to 24 months? What's kind of on the on the docket, so to speak? I, I think the biggest area is looking at these these young people who are really in crisis. As Susie said earlier, we they're coming to us. We can't avoid it. Although we were looking to support the early intervention space, actually, uh, we, we now believe, and particularly with this great finding from the Anna Freud Centre, we, we believe that we can really do it as much to revolutionise the support we can give to young people in crisis as we have to, to bring peer support to the digital space. So mm. we're out there looking for funding to, to be able to, to do that. Um, we've got a great partnership with Bristol University and, and University of Sussex. Uh, so I think, yeah, that, that's the space to watch for us, is, is for us to transform the response to extreme self-harm, eating disorders and suicide. Okay. Um, well, that sounds like a, a big, big job. How, how is that being done right now by services, for example? Is it badly I would say okay, okay. <laughs> um, you know for young people the cams waiting lists are you know legendary and apart from that you've got some t- telephone helplines which provide one-off support um, but what we can do is we can provide both crisis support and ongoing support and that's what the res- we've done, a, our partners in Bristol have done an awful lot of research around how young people who are suicidal use online services or support, and we will work with the research and we have built a solution that we think would be a state of the art, absolute game changer for young people. So we're just, you know, just raising the funding for that now. Okay, cool. And that would roll out alongside the other services on your platform? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, look, it seems like you've got quite a lot going on, um, which I mean, it's it's funny, isn't it? That's all very exciting, but it's dealing with such a serious, somber topic. Do you find that sometimes difficult to manage in a sense? No, because because we're helping and because we can see the difference that we make. And we know that so many people are afraid of this space. But we are, you know, it's not that we're risk takers. It's just we know we've, we've, we've worked in this space for a long time. We know how to manage it really safely and we know how to help. And, and we get, you know, we get so much gratitude from our users, from the people that we've helped. We had 91 suicides where an overdose, et cetera, had been taken and we managed to save those lives and their economic case for that the economic case for a single completed youth suicide is 9.7 million pounds to society wow so you know we're making a difference yeah i mean that's absolutely clear and i think that's probably a good a good point to end on um so thank you both susie and justin for coming on founders of me too which is available everywhere on the app store and play store for 11 to 25 year olds or slightly older you know in my case um but otherwise thank you so much for coming on thank you for everyone for listening and we wish you all the best with me too um yeah i mean it sounds like the next 12 to 24 months are going to be very exciting for you and you're doing something that's extremely valuable thank you thank you take it sometimes i just can't take it and it isn't all right i'm not gonna make it Shoes untied. I'm like a broken record. I'm like a broken record, and I'm not playing right. Just in a car.